With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. I love your definition of comedy as something being very high stakes that you shake the foundations of. So there's a couple of things there. One is, I think people usually don't try to be skeptics. There's so much groupthink now, people are afraid of that. Of course, absolutely. But you gotta understand, comics are just conspiracy theorists that are funny. Right? It's like, that's all we do. It, what does a conspiracy theorist do, right? He just challenges conventional wisdom, but he's not funny. Right. So he just gives you facts. Right. Comics, we do the exact same thing. We're just funny, so it's acceptable. Uh, we're the, we love each other. There's a reason why Joe Rogan and Alex Jones can have a great conversation. It's because baseline, they think the same way. Right. Right? Baseline, they're going, well, why wouldn't it be? The second you tell me I can't make a joke about me too, all I'm thinking is, all right, what's funny about me too? Hey, you can't make a joke about this hurricane or this tragedy. Okay, what's funny about Because there's a moment of tension. I needed people to realize that comedy can be done about anything. We were operating in a time of political correctness where they said certain things cannot be talked about on a comedy stage and should not be joked about. So I need to prove that those things could be joked about. And the world was yearning for them to be joked about. You know, you ever go to therapy? For 30 years. Okay. You ever like, you know, I'm sure all the time you have that moment where you're feeling this unrest and anxiety and then your therapist calls something out and then immediately it's alleviated. You're like, ah, okay. Thank you. This is great. That was the moment. So I've got the amazing comedian Andrew Schultz on the podcast. Andrew, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Andrew, so many things. One is um, I watched the series. Before I knew who you were as a comedian, I watched the series There's Johnny, which is this Ah. sitcom on Hulu about uh, Johnny Carson. And you were one of the writers in the writer's room. And uh, I watched it in preparation for... Paul Reiser, who produced it, and he was on the podcast. Yeah, love Paul. You did such a great job with that. You were so funny on that show. I didn't even realize you were a stand-up. Then I see downstairs your photo on the wall. I'm like, oh, I just saw that guy in there shining. Then I started watching your videos, which were hilarious. Uh, The 441 video, which is you doing four um, clubs in a night, and it was just great, and different material in each club. And what impressed me the most about that video, other than the humor, and we're going to talk about it in a second, is apparently, I guess, uh, you got rejected a couple times when you oh, were by everyone. 
So, so like, so tell me the story. Cause then that video has like 1.7 million views on it or more. Too. Yeah. We probably got around there now. Yeah. I and and you know, most yet. comedians, they put up like a clip or they put up a, a special, they'll get a thousand views or 400 yeah. views. Yeah. You got 1.7 million views. It was pretty cool. And man. so there's a whole process from rejection to decision-making to success. That's very, what I call choose yourself of you. Meaning, Hey, they, said no to me, the gatekeeper said no, right. I'm going to choose myself and find success without them. Absolutely, man. From nothing comes everything. Exactly. Yeah. And we, we, have had so, we have so many examples of that on this podcast, but, but yours is so direct and, and well, anyway, just who, yeah. who rejected you? Uh, I mean, every network. I mean, I, I got rejected by a network that I had a show on. So Dares Johnny was originally a CISO show. CISO was a comedy oh, network, that. like a fledgling online yeah. comedy network. They want to be, uh, I guess, Netflix, but just for stand-up, something like that. Yeah, they had, uh, Michael Ian Black had a show on there, Yeah, right? a few people had shows. Yeah. Like, So, I mean, everybody, you know, so I filmed it. It originally, originally was an hour, and we did five clubs. And uh, and then we did the cab rides in between and all that kind of stuff. And then... Wait, you shot first, though, before you had a yes from someone? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I had never been an industry darling. You know, even to this day, I'd never done stand-up on TV, right? So I had a lot of success outside the stand-up industry, but the stand-up industry doesn't make any money, so it's very similar to a museum. It's not who has the best painting, it's who the curators think has the best painting. Right, well, that, it's funny, because that's true for every, like, art. Like, if you're, if you're, yes. in, if you're in Gagosian's gallery, you sell for $20 million. If you're in the gallery right, right next door yeah. with a better painting, you'll sell for $3,000. Oh, yeah, and for that reason, art is horseshit. Art is just a mobile asset. That's what I realized. I didn't, I, like, at first, I was like, do these rich people really care about art? And it's like, no, like, you live in China. If shit gets fucked up and you need to get out of there, you can't move your house, right? You can't move right. a marble statue, but you can box up a painting that's worth twenty million. You can put that on a flight, and then you can go to L.A. And now you got twenty million in L.A. Yeah, it's like when some rich guy buys that like diamond that's worth seventy five million. You yeah. know, it's just okay. I got seventy five million. It's in a Swiss bank, just in case. Right, and it's all branding too because diamonds just just on that one specifically. Yeah, there's no actual market or exchange for diamonds for anything. It's, it's all a, mon a monopoly. Yeah, you know, and and they they manipulate the like. Yellow diamonds, the price is through the roof, but that means they're actually shit diamonds. Like but they're the you worst know why quality that diamonds. Is? Why is that? It's because the Asian market has gotten into diamonds and Asians like rubies and shit like that. They like the colorful stones. So now colorful stones are going up because they're spending all their money on the diamonds. Which is the irony is like uh, those are the diamonds that traditionally have been low quality. Right. Like there's all sorts of problems. But there's them. no value to anything, really. That's the yeah. thing, right? It's like it's just what we all agree on has value. It's like I think even what was Harari was doing the thing about like we all agree on these myths. Right. And then they become real. Right. So there is no real or fake. So diamonds are a thing that is real because we believe it enough. Yeah. I mean. Red means about, stop. Why? If you think about every investment is, you know, they always tell, uh, let's say entrepreneurs who have businesses, sell your company before it gets big, sell the dream. Cause if you can convince people to buy the dream, they're going to pay a lot more than if you actually get big and you weren't as big as you thought. Now they have to buy the reality. You're going to make much less money. Yeah. Sell the dream, not the reality. For sure. For sure. So, so okay. So, so I was trying to sell people the dream <laughs> and they weren't even trying to sleep. Like, well, so wait, well, let's back up then. So wait, well, how are you? Filmed it. 
I had. I, well, what was your success before stand up? Um, I mean, I was doing a bunch of MTV shows. You yeah, know, you did the guy code, guy code, girl code. I mean, I had a I had a network deal with MTV pretty early in my career for for a traditional stand. How'd you get that? <sighs> they just found me, man. You know, they found me, and I test very well. So that's the thing that like saves me with execs, because execs may or may not get it, or execs may have ulterior motives, right? Like. And an ulterior motive isn't necessarily bad. Everybody just wants to survive, so I don't have any resentment. But like an ulterior like, motive might be, let's get more diversity this year. Sure, diversity could be a thing, or um, safety could be a thing. Like, oh, this guy's opinions are kind of wild. Let's do something a little bit more safe. Because if I pick this guy and he says something wild, I'm responsible. But if I pick this other guy and he doesn't, then I'm not. Like, there's a reason Nick Cannon hosts everything. Right, because nobody's afraid at NBC he's going to say something wild. Right, yeah. there's a reason why Ryan Seacrest hosts everything. It's just safety with your investment. Right, that's all it is. I'm putting money into something. Is Seacrest going to fuck it up? No. All right, Seacrest, go for it. So, um, I think I was coming up in a time where I think diversity was very important, and you know maybe um, the, the the point of view I had, which is more traditional, challenge conventional wisdom, you know. Um, was not as as popular. And, you know, I say that John Stewart ruined stand up, right? And I don't mean that in knocking John Stewart. Is he was so good at what he did, stand up became a, a tool to put out your narrative, right? Stand up back in the day was never like a, never really had a complete political agenda, right? It was just feeling based. Sometimes you have feelings that are conservative. Sometimes you have feelings that are liberal. Right, but you would just express all those, and that's just what it was. Right, because you have like in the '90s, you have uh, comedians like, let's say, Doug Stanhope, for sure, or or Patrice O'Neill wasn't was always challenging conventional wisdom constantly, or, or Louis C.K. Patrice <laughs> had a joke about being happy about slavery. He's like, he was like, I'm grateful because we're here. He goes, I don't want to be fighting a war in tuxedo pants and sandals. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so that is a classic great comedy move of like challenging conventional wisdom, like looking at a looking at a thing that everybody agrees on, you know, similar to like looking at the myth that everybody agrees is real and then shaking the foundation of it. That's where stand-up is. And then Stewart came around and he was like, hey, all the comedy is going to be from this one perspective and comedy is really going to be a tool to get our opinions out about why, you know, liberals or Democrats are right. And then a bunch of kids grew up thinking that was comedy. They didn't grow up like you and I looking at Patrice and going, oh, that's comedy. Or looking at Eddie Murphy, looking at Chris Rock. Like Chris Rock, I was drawn to him because it was like, to me, it was that was magic, right? It was literal magic. It was like, whoa, you could have a different perspective if you make people laugh. They gotta, they gotta accept it a little bit. Right, So, that, but then you can ask the question, like, so Patrice, Patrice was black and making a slavery joke. Yeah. Nowadays, you could almost say, okay, because of his demographic, he could still get away with that joke. Sure. But I sort of feel like some I think white that his comics, demographic hurts him with that joke. I think really? his demographic, demographic goes, goes. what are you, a sellout? Why would you say that? You know, look at you. You're being an Uncle Tom. Well, like, couldn't any white comic... I could see Bill Burr getting away with that joke. Hell yeah. Or Doug Stanhope. Yeah, of course. Like, I think it's a good... good any good joke is challenging. Like, but that's what you want to do. You know, comedy... It's like I was saying on, you know, on Rogan, but like I've always said, it's like... Comedy is, is is a bullfight, man. It's like, and the this more dangerous the premise, the premise is the bull, you know? And the more dangerous the premise, the more excited the crowd is. The crowd boos when a bullfighter is fighting a little bull, 
They only cheer if the bull is worthy. You know, so if you go in there to premise like why slavery was okay or blackface is okay or these types of things, that's what I get excited about. I want to dance with the bull. Those are the highest stakes. Like we were talking about 90 Day Fiance and all this kind of shit. It's like, like there's a reason why my stuff resonates around the world is because people want high stakes. They want to see the fucking bullfight. And all this comedy that, that the networks put out doesn't resonate even when they put it on the internet is because it's a baby bull. Like women need rights. It's like, yeah, no shit. Like, to be honest, we're talking about this before. It's like the greatest thing for female comedy is the Me Too movement because it gave them something to push back against that they're not supposed to, right? Female comedy before that was all about acquiring equality and acquiring rights, right? So all the jokes were geared toward this, you know, we need to get paid the same. We need to do this. Da, 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 da. They didn't have something that was so powerful they could push back against it. Me Too came, came around and... It was a powerful movement, and then it was an abuse of power, and finally women had this thing that was supposed to help them, but they could push back against. And now you see all these chicks with these really funny anti-Me Too jokes or these jokes that operate around sexual assault and operate around rape, and it's like they're writing really good stuff because they finally had it. So, like, what's a, who, who's an example? What's an example? There's this, there's this comic. Her name is Chloe. Chloe, I think LaBranche is her name. She had this funny joke oh, yeah. where— um. It was, uh, she was like, you know, I went back to this guy's house and, uh, and, you know, he started raping me and, uh, you know, I was in his bed and he was, he was raping me and, uh, and I looked up and, and, uh, I saw this, uh, Yale diploma and, uh, I was like, nah, he's fucking me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, that only is there because me too is so powerful. That right. can only exist prior to me too. That can't exist. Right prior to me too movement, that joke I think is too is too harsh, too real. Because right, it's not hitting what what right now you can almost say there's an acceptable third rail. So the acceptable meaning the joke is resonating with everyone, and third rail because uh, uh, conversely you're not allowed to talk about it. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, and and it's like finally it's like prior to that a girl may, maybe never would have wanted to do that joke because she was like. No, there are really guys doing that to girls, right? We, we we can't joke around about that. This really happens and nobody's even acknowledging it. Like there are guys out there raping chicks and not even acknowledging it. Now with Me Too, you have all these stories that are like, that doesn't really seem like rape. That just seems like an abuse of power of this movement. I think a guy shaking a girl's hand at the office isn't sexual assault or something like that, right? So now there's this gray area yeah, and, where she gets to operate in. Right, and, and and I think also there's a, a difference between comedy and conversation that people don't realize. Yeah. Like, you can make, if, if, if you have that conversation and you're serious outside, someone might think that that, let's say, Chloe, if she just said it seriously, yeah. people would think, oh, that's crazy. They don't realize, when you say something in a comedy club, it's a joke. Intense. And, it, and, it's, and there's an, a second layer which people are supposed to think about, not think about the surface layer of the right. words. But if, uh, of course, in a conversation, you only think about the surface layer of the words. But uh, pe why, do you think, why do you think people now have John comedy and turned it into conversation? John Stewart. John Stewart, okay. Because he had conversations and used comedy instead of right. use comedy. He would have funny conversations. <laughs> right. So it's just like the comedy to him was a device. It was like, hey, I'd like to tell you how I feel about the world, right? And I'm going to use comedy so it's more entertaining for you to listen. Right? Whereas comics, it's, hey, I would like to tell you some comedy. 
you know what I'm saying? I'm not co-opting. I'm not co-opting. And I'm not, it sounds like I'm knocking John. I'm not knocking John. He was so great at what he did. It changed the perception of comedy. Right, of comedy, of news. Of, of news as well, exactly, yeah. right? He completely morphed it. That's how great he was at what he did. But the cost of that morphing is people lost the idea that you could just be funny and not believe necessarily 100% what you say. So in Chloe's bit, she's not believing 100% what she's saying, right? Whereas with John, it was, I believe everything I'm saying, and funny is this tool that I'm using to give you. Yeah. So it fucked the game up. But but th- but also is interesting is I love your definition of comedy as something being very high stakes, you know, issues or or things that are people that are thinking about that are very high stakes that you shake the foundations of. So there's a couple couple of things there. One is I think people usually don't try to be skeptics of high stakes situations. I think they're afraid. There's so much groupthink now. Of people course. are afraid of that. Of course, absolutely. But you got to understand, comics are just conspiracy theorists that are funny. <laughs> Right, it's like that's all we do. It, what does a conspiracy theorist do? Right, he just challenges conventional wisdom, but he's not funny. Right, so he just gives you facts. Right, comics, we do the exact same thing. We're just funny, so it's acceptable. We're I, the we love each other. There's a reason why Joe Rogan and Alex Jones can have a great conversation. It's because baseline, they think the same way. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Baseline, they're going. Well, why wouldn't it be? That's that's how our brains. The second you tell me I can't make a joke about me too. All I'm thinking is, all right, what's funny about me too? You right. can't, hey, you can't make a joke about this hurricane or this 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 tragedy. Okay, what's funny? I was just in a show in Orlando and a chick had a seizure, right? And I could have not gone on stage, but I went on stage. And I'm joking around with the crowd because there's a moment of tension. That's a yeah. moment. That's the biggest bull there is. There's a girl shaking on the ground and I'm like, okay, how do I get everybody on the same page? How can we laugh at this? What'd you do? I started making jokes, man. I was just, I forget exactly what I was saying. The EMTs came in. I started roasting them. Like everybody was getting these jokes. You know, the show must go on. So, 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 so but it's interesting. Though, like, like, so Joe Rogan and Alex Jones had a famous podcast just a few weeks ago. Tons. Already famous. Yeah. yeah but, but particularly the one like Alex Jones was like UFOs, everything. And I feel like still it's a difference between comedy and conversation. Like Alex Jones is having a serious conversation and Joe Rogan might think, Skeptically, well, yeah, let's explore the idea that there might be UFOs. But they believe still... their bullshit. Uh, so, right, Alex yeah. Jones believes his bullshit. Conspiracy theorists Joe believe Rogan's their bullshit. Asking. He's willing to have a conversation, but he's yeah. still just questioning. So, yeah, so like conspiracy theorists, they believe their conspiracy. Comics just believe the comedy. So, right. if you ask, you know, Joe or myself or anybody about our joke, we believe in the funny of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, because you're looking not you're looking did I did I take something high stakes enough? Did I shake it the convention in such a way that it's funny? Did I structure the words, the pauses, the act outs? You do a lot of act outs. Did I did I structure sure. this all in a funny way? So there is like an, an artistry to it whereas Alex Jones is like of course there's UFOs. Like cuz he's they, not they funny. The 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 Bilderberg group they keep it the skeletons of the aliens in the basement of the White House. Like, yeah. like right, he's not funny. He's just kind of like it's it's weird emails and then re- repeats them on a we podcast. We all want <laughs> validation, right? We all want validation for our thoughts. And we are we're just validation in life in general. It's he's realized that his validation is fulfilled by people going, "You're right. You're on to something. You're a crusader." Ours is filled by people going, "Ha ha ha." Right, like so, That's it. so. If he was funny, he wouldn't be doubling down on shit. He'd just write a good school shooting joke. 
Right? <laughs> he just read a good that frogs are gay joke. He wouldn't be actually using science to prove it. Note to self, Steve, can we get Alex Jones down here at Stand Up New York doing some stand up? Let's, Dude, uh, let's do that. I promise you, he if will he sell had out. another avenue, he would absolutely sell out. But if he had another avenue for the validation, he would double down into it. I'm not even sure he actually believes what he thinks. Like he's in in the decades he switched sides a couple of times. So sure, as you should though, but yeah. this idea like you got to stay on the same thing. I asked Rogan, but it's a question of Steve Cohen here interjecting, but yeah. maybe it's an issue of like it depends why you're you're changing your tune because Yeah, yeah, are you changing, changing your tune because you're getting pushed back or you're in this case getting sued by every single person in the world? Right, but, no. but also, also, but here's the other thing too. Like, let's say, let's say he changes his tune because he figured he could make more money that way. So what? The guy's got to feed his family, and there are you. Know, if he can make an argument that's correct, that maybe he believes in somewhat, and people are willing to pay for it, who are we to all judge the ethics of that in in the animal kingdom? As it's you would a, say, it's a tricky. It's definitely a tricky or a slippery a slippery slope, as some people say. But what you said about Joe Rogan yeah. and Alex Jones being the same it reminds me of Joe Rogan's last special, where at the very end of it, he basically, you know, I don't, I can't do the joke exactly like how he sure. did this huge act out about the Kardashians and what they do to men, and it's so bad that they even. You know, I mean, they turn some men into like drug addicts, and yeah. but then they 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 turn Caitlyn Jenner, they turn Bruce Jenner, the into best athlete yeah. in the world, into a woman. So like that's a conspiracy theory presented in a not only in a funny manner, and he was hilarious about it, and he's like crawling, he's like a he's like a snake, like like yeah. playing Eve, and uh, uh, but 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 he is the format is funny. It's it was a Netflix comedy special. Sure, like if he again just to told it to people in a conversation, that's like a different format. Absolutely. You have to judge the context of anything being said, even this podcast. Why do you think people don't? Yeah, so in the podcast, it's a little tricky because yeah. people don't know, are we, you know, what's Fear going on? Fear being here? ostracized, man. Like you said earlier, it's like, what's the cost? What's the social cost for having an opinion different than your friends? I mean, like, you hear how especially liberal people speak about people that disagree with them. Is there anything liberal about it? If I see someone with a Trump hat, I'm punching him in the face. Uh, is that accepting? Oh, is that progressive? And I, I don't <laughs> think I have I have a million more questions at each fork, but I have a, a one story, which is. But you hear what I'm, you hear what I'm saying? I totally know. So because, like, you just answered a question right there. The cost is too high to have a difference of opinion. So everybody just goes, okay, I'll agree. Right, but then this is what I always tell even writers, not so much comedians. Yeah. If you don't write, if you're not afraid. The moment you hit publish, then you're not. Chances are you're not saying something new. Of course not. You're saying something that everyone else agrees with. Yeah. And, but you and in order to be a good writer, you have to say something new. So, I I I experience this viscerally. I'll just tell you one story. Sure. I I wrote a very simple article where I was teaching my daughter, who was like it was her tenth year birthday or whatever, that if you say please, you could manipulate people easier. Right. So we and then I showed her we got into. A fashion show. We got into a uh, uh, the ping pong club downtown that was closed for the night because Bank of America had rented out. We got into all these things, and I wrote the article up, and and it was all about pleas and manipulation. And some woman wrote an article trashing mine, saying, uh, "Imagine if James had put the phrase." Uh, because I am white at the end of every single sentence in the article, so that please only works if you're white, it was her implication. But then people thought I actually wrote that. And so I was getting all these death threats and and like, hmm. I'm gonna anally rape you. And like, people yeah. were like, really, like, 
And I would I made the mistake of sometimes responding. I'm like, you know, really, I'm teaching my daughter to say please, and and the and the punishment for that is you're going to anally rape me. Yeah. <laughs> like, but yes, that's you can't. You, that's you, the cost. That's the cost, and you have to. But you have to take it if you're going to succeed. You have to walk through the fire. But let me ask you about comedy though, because yeah. you're, real you're, quick to that point. Hmm? This is important. Yes. Not to jump over. No, tell me. You you paid the cost, right? And the people lit you on fire. And what will happen is if you continue to walk through the fire, eventually people stop trying to set you on fire because it doesn't work. Oh, I agree. You know what I, I'm saying? I keep, believe me, this podcast is about keep walking through that fire. Right. So it's like I went through this tons of times earlier in my career. So I do a podcast with Charlemagne that you had on. Yeah. Right. So, and I'm a pretty opinionated guy. And for I think this was for the first time, there were a lot of people, a lot of Charlemagne fans hearing at least a white guy give opinions on hip hop culture or black culture, or like American culture in general, you know? And it didn't matter if the opinion was right or wrong. It was like, why is this guy saying it? Right. Cause I'm a perceived outsider. Right. And, Initially, it was met with backlash because people didn't realize that I, we had the same destination. We just had different routes of getting there, you know? So, hey, we both want black people to stop getting shot by the police, right? You might think this is the way. I might think this is the way. But the end goal is the same. People are not looking at the end goal. They're looking at the journey, right? So once they saw that I was, and it took years, but once they saw I was willing to walk through the fire, they stopped throwing fire on me because they realized, oh, shit, this guy doesn't have it. The fire is actually a test for worthiness. People want to be led, but we want to be led by the worthy. So when we light you on fire, it's like, we're like a group of dudes. You enter a new group of dudes, there's a little posturing, you know what I mean? There might be a little poking jokes and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. They're trying to see, hey, is this guy real? Can he fucking be around us? Can he hold mm -hmm. his, his shit? It's like an audience, a stand-up. That first joke, they're like, is this person funny? Mm -hmm. I don't know yet. Is he worthy of my attention for the next 15 minutes? And once they see that you are, you're there. People want to be led. They want to be led. They just want to be led to safety. But and I and I I like all of these definitions of comedy. You know, the wanting to be led, the uh the people wanting to be led, the the high stake, you know, shake up the high stakes. What do you think of kind of I feel like the safe end of the spectrum where people just do, you know, one liner after one liner where you know it's not true about their life. Yeah. It's just they sat down that afternoon, they had a formula. They wrote a structured joke and they perform it. It's reliable. The audience laughs because it's wordplay and uh, reversal and, you know, yeah. kept it tight. There were skills involved. Uh, what do you think of comedy as that? Because I feel like, you it's know, like, I, uh, I, I see yeah. com comedians every night, like seven comedians a night go on the stage here. And, yeah. you know, with Donnie, we, we own the club. And I feel like a majority of the comedians are kind of that style. Yeah, it's like a cleavage pick. You know, What's it's a cleavage pic. <laughs> like a picture of a girl's tits on Instagram. Oh, a picture. Right. I thought maybe there was like some kind of pick. <laughs> pick <laughs> to, to get shit out between the titties. Right. That's like, no, but, um, but yeah, it's like you see a, or like naked girls on Instagram got tons of likes, right? But they're surface level likes. You know, it's not like you're not really caring about that person's life. You're not willing right. to follow them. It's kind of a meaningless endeavor. And you can actually exist and have a career with that type of standup, but you will be a distraction right? That's the type of stand-up you will be. You will just be a distraction. People won't want to lead you. People won't be, want to be led by you. Like, uh, for me, stand-up is visceral, is gut. Like, I hit you here. There's a, re like, there's a reason why I can put out my clips and they'll get millions of views and I don't even have 
close to as big a platform as a Comedy Central or a Netflix, and they can't hit that on on social, right? And it's because I I only am writing bits for your gut. It's reptilian. I don't write bits for your brain. I don't even know how to, right? I can only be funny here. So I can say shit that is quote-unquote wrong because in your gut, it's right. You know, the most basic example I can give you is like a comic like Sebastian Maniscalco, right? It's like, he's like, why are you wearing, you know, sandals at the airport, right? It's deep down, you're like, yeah, why the fuck are you wearing sandals at the airport? Now, what what I do is I'll take something that you feel inside and then I'll give a rational reason for it. And now I've become your guru, right? Because you couldn't explain why the word tranny is inoffensive, but you wish you could have. And then I come in and I'm like, it's just short, you know? It's like grandmother, granny, tranny, Andrew, Andy, all these different. And then you're like, oh, shit. Well, how do I feel about war? You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, like oh, you just described something I couldn't put in words. That's the next level. And, well, that's, well, and that's interesting because that, that joke, people are already laughing as soon as you say granny. Yeah. Like, that's funny. Kind of the, oh, it's the same kind of wordplay as tranny. So yeah. people, are, people are laughing. And at the same time, you could tell they're coming to grips very quickly. It's almost like they're making these fast mental calculations. Should yeah. I laugh? Should I not laugh? But they're laughing because you're hitting their gut, as you say. Yep. But then you to go, you always take it one step further. Like, well, what about black, blacky? Well, and I say, what about blacky? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the way I do the joke now is that the tranny I was talking to, she was like, oh, yeah, well, would you call someone blacky? And I was like, uh, no, that's longer, <laughs> right? The whole premise is it's shorter, right? And then the tag is like, you know, if you remove something, it's okay. Like, you should know that. Yeah, so, so, so that's funny, though, <laughs> is that you've still... You, you you take the joke, you know it's already funny, right. but you know there's still something there. Keep on keep digging, pushing digging, it. digging, get every little piece that you can out of it, but like the undeniable logic. And then what I've realized is, you know, I think the conventional wisdom with stand-up is like start sweet so they like you and then eventually get them slowly into this like rough stuff. My feeling is like, I think if you do that, you lose their trust, right? I think for me, I start hard. I go, hey, this is what it is but I make sure that the logic is undeniable and I make sure it's funny and it's long enough in terms of punches to get it. So, so I start with the tranny bit, mm -hmm. open, or start with the Trump grab the pussy bit, open. It's like, hey, well, this is what's going to be like. And what I've realized with people, people are Pavlovian in that if you take them to a place of discomfort and then reward it, the next time they feel that discomfort, Instead of the reaction being like, oh my God, I'm scared here. They go, oh no, here comes the reward. That's the bell. You know, it's funny because I think that what you just said there goes against a lot of the conventional wisdom of comedy. Yeah. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, 
I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. 
Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely gonna use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So like I remember I, I, about a year ago or two years ago, I saw Dave Chappelle at Radio City Music Hall. Yep. And he even said, I've got a joke for you guys, but I think I need to wait like about 45 minutes in before I tell it to you. Because he needed to be... Even he's acknowledging he needs to be likable, the, the most right. likable comic on the planet. Even he needs to win us over a little before he tells his like hardcore stuff. That's it, a device by Dave though. Like okay. Dave, Dave is great at devices. Like, he's full of devices. Like his cigarette is a device. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's like, a good pause. Yeah, it's like I'm gonna I'm, you're watching the cigarette now. You know, yeah. everything is it's distraction. Like on TV, distraction is done with camera angle changes, right? Uh, this was one person at a desk talking. This is going to get boring. Why don't we take a shot from over here? Take a shot of the audience. Take a shot from over here. So your brain is constantly stimulated. Dave just does that with his cigarette or a little bit of a movement or a flick of it. Or the, the mic hitting the name. Tapping. And you're like, there's all these things that are happening. So he just gave you an Easter egg, right? He's like, yo, in 45 minutes, you're going to hear this thing. So now the whole time you're going, oh my God, I'm going to hear something. And, you, and you're kind of, you're, you're, you're in tune. Like you have to listen. I got to listen because, wait, is this it? Am I ready? Is it? So it's like, you, there's so many ways where you can like distract. Like there's a lot of times where the one-liner comics were bringing guitars on stage, right? And the device was there because it was... It was too monotonous to do for 45 minutes. Right. Those one-liner guys, you can tolerate them for 15 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. When you're not getting any of their personality, it's just like uh, word problems. Essentially, right. they're like funny word problems. They figured out the science of jokes. Like Stephen Wright with a guitar. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And Stephen Wright, at least, now Stephen Wright, how he's different and how it tells different is they actually have personality. Right? Like Stephen Wright is, he's an interesting guy. You're trying to figure out this fucking puzzle. And Dave is like that too. Like Dave is a personality. He is a, it's like, what, what is it? You know, what's going on? Right? But then there are guys that would strictly just say one-liner jokes, but you don't really, like Dimitri Martin type, like brilliant one-liners, but like, I don't know what you are. Mm -hmm. So you're just giving me word problems. And they're fun and they're exciting. But like, how long can you do word problems? I can't right. do word problems for an hour. So you have a device, which is a guitar. So now I fill in the air. I fill in the blanks. Some um, variety. Yeah, it's just, it's just so your brain is working. You don't even realize it's working, but it is. It's like the elevator is boring, so they put music on. You ever notice that? Yeah, yeah there's elevator music. There's a reason why. Because you'll go fucking crazy in an elevator if you're just staring at the wall or staring at something else. Same thing with those jokes. It's like, okay, this is boring after a while. A little music? Okay, that's fun. I'm stimulated. Yeah. So, so... So okay, we're 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 interweaving between like 
definition of comedy and your history. Mm -hmm. You tested well with MTV execs. What does that mean? No, not execs. I just test well with people. Mm -hmm. So like for me, I have this, this rare ability that like whatever group of people you put me in front of, they fuck with me, right? And it's like... What, what do you I, mean? The re, they 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 like me. They they're into. They're curious about me, or they respect mm -hmm. me. There's just something that happens. Like I'm a polarizing figure, but like I don't have. Eh, he's okay. It's mm -hmm. either love hate, mm -hmm. you know, type of thing. So it's like, for me, it's um, I've realized the it's just authenticity, right? So it's like I don't really know how to not be myself, right? So it's like especially with my like opinions, how I feel about the world, like. People are drawn to authenticity whether they agree with it or they disagree with it. It's like everybody who hates Trump probably watches Trump for longer than the people who love him. You know what I mean? They're watching those press conferences. They're doing a, that kind of shit because you actually are feeling you're getting this authentic moment. It's like Larry David is just as beloved in the hood as he is amongst like uh, the Jewish community center. Like they both love him. Why? Because he's authentic. Just raw, it's, you're magnetized by authenticity. If someone is their raw self, it's so fucking rare that people are their raw true self that we have to look at it. We have to watch it happen. You know, it's it's just amazing. So it's like, for me, there's a reason why, like my audience is mainly minority, right? And every time I go to a comedy club, the owner's confused. He's like, wow, I didn't, your audience is so diverse. It's like, yeah, it's weird. I guess it's weird for you. For me, I grew up in New York City, so it wasn't a big deal, but it's like, yeah, these people fuck with me. And then I'll go on Barstool and then all the people on Barstool will fuck with me. And it's just, there's authenticity, man. It's just, and it's just what happens. So like whenever they would test me for these shows, I would test really well because- Meaning they would they would show the show to a random audience. To a random audience. A lot exactly. of people would like you. So the execs, they would try to make their decisions based on what was good for their bank account and what was good for the the, the network's bank account. But once you put me in front of the people, the people don't care about the bank account. They just care about what they care about. So when anytime, anytime those came back, it was like, okay, run with this kid. So that got you onto the guy code, got you this MTV deal. Yeah. Why do you think when you were pushing a stand-up special, uh, Netflix or Amazon, Am Industry whoever, soured HBO, on me. It, and they're still sour on me. Why? Um, I, I was probably a bunch of things. You know, probably the guy code... Uh, flavor wasn't cool. You know, the comedy industry is run by nerds, you know, nerds but, and But you, the guy code, you could think of that as like the, a next generation man show, which, right. you know, produced all these Oh, comedians. if you look at guy code, it's like all the famous people that are out now came through it. Mm. Like when you really look at like MTV as a portal for talent, all the most famous people right now in the comedy world came through that. The people were selling tickets. I mean, like Pete Davidson, Charlemagne the God, Lil Duval, just that number one song in the country. Uh, the the Wild and Out cast were like the next generation of of black comics, the new black kings of comedy. Like literally everybody came through that world. The problem is like the stand up world is ran by nerdy dudes and um, how do I say this? And uh, not all, but like a lot. You know, women who might have not got the much most attention from guys in high school. Is that a fair way to say? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so who do both of those groups hate? Anybody who would be on a show called Guy Code. Right. Right? Anybody broed out, da da da. Right? So like who do they gravitate to? They gravitate towards maybe other people who could potentially be bullied like themselves, nerds, um, you know, uh, you know, people who could be possibly picked on, etc. And they truly find those people funny because it resonates with them. 
But the reality of the matter is like, you know, Michael Sarah is not an action star. Bruce Willis is. Bruce Willis could be 75 years old and you're like, save the day. You know what I'm saying? So there's certain ones of us that we just gravitate to because that's what they do. So the industry closed the door for me, but my my feeling was always like, if I just give it to the people, the people will make the decision. Right, so now is an opportunity where through YouTube or Instagram, essentially you can- We never had that before. Yeah, we never had that before. So you put your stuff up there, 1.7 or 2 million views later, you know, you have half a million subscribers on YouTube. You have a ton of subscribers all over the place. What do you, let's just, given that your stuff's great, but a lot of comedians have great stuff, but don't have the same number of social media numbers. What do right. you think you're doing differently there, just in terms of strategically? Um, I mean, I have Charlemagne the God. I mean, that was huge. You so know? he like retweets or, re no, or not, links not, to you? No, not, not at all. Like we just did a show that was really popular. So I got some traction on YouTube because I was putting out all the videos for that show on my channel. The Brilliant Idiots Star yeah, Podcast, yeah. right? So- How'd you meet Charlamagne? Oh, from uh, the guy, from guy code. code. Yeah, we just liked each other. And we just fuck. He's an authentic, rawly authentic guy. Yeah, and he's just definitely. one of those. So you're just drawn to him, right? Magnetize. And, and oftentimes, you know, people that are like that kind of end up meeting and, and we just create some cool shit. And, uh, and it was great. And the podcast, we still do it to this day. I think we've been doing it almost five years now. And uh, so we did that. And what I tell the comics is like, everybody's going to be get, get their version of a Charlamagne. Like I have, I'm someone's Charlamagne now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what are you going to do with that? I saw this and I was like, hey, let's, okay, we're doing a podcast. Let me do a video component of it. And I spent thousands of dollars on video equipment and I got my brother to edit it. And then I got my buddy Alex to edit. Like I added as much value as I could to this thing. Right. Because your stuff's, it's highly edited. Like on the Instagram Absolutely. post, you have, you know, you, you, trans, you transcribe everything. everything. You know, it's, it's I got all a full time video stuff. guy. I got two other guys that are part time. Like I have a whole, it's a business for me. You are you know? making money from the YouTube stuff or the internet yeah, stuff? Yeah, I think we were we were doing pretty well, and now YouTube is is lit, put a new thing out, so they're gonna start demonetizing anything with like cursing and that kind of shit. I think they're really fucking up with that, but that's a whole different story because YouTube's advantage on Instagram was that you could make some money. Where you can't make money on Instagram, you can make money with the live show. My whole platform is based on monetizing the live experience. Right, because that's the thing that can't be replaced. So I use everything else as a billboard. Everything else is just advertising. That's why I tell comics, don't do specials. Just do exactly what I do. And a lot of comics are doing it, like cutting it up and doing different pieces. But like doing a special as a comic and doing just an hour special and releasing as that could be one of the stupidest things you've ever done with your whole career. Hmm. You're, in the, you're in the process of aggregating fans, right? It's like nobody wants to listen to anybody talk that's a stranger for an hour. Nobody. You know, that, I always wonder that. Like nobody. I love stand-up comedy, obviously, but I can't watch any. I could go to Radio City Music Hall and watch whoever for an hour, but I can't watch a YouTube clip for, like you say, for more than a few minutes. Because they're a stranger. It's not an intimate relationship yet. So but I can go to the live experience and watch. Sure, sure. So it's like my feeling is this, right? You can't. You don't want to watch a stranger for an hour. It's uh. If it, you'd be less inclined. Let's put it that way. Right. Like I'm not like if it's not like let's say Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K. or they're not strangers. Right. They're not. They're a comedian I'm used to. Yeah. Like if it was just a total like unknown comedian, Fred Jackson. Yeah. I probably I have no go. fucking clue who that is. Yeah. I'm not listening for an hour. Neither are you. Yeah. Right. Would you listen to a two minute bit of Fred Jackson if your friend who you respect their comedic opinion said it was funny? Yes. Now that's every day. Every day. 
So what I did is I made my shit digestible, right? And then two things happened. So I broke everything up into smaller clips and I put the clips out, right? And and you transcribe it. You did that extra step that a lot of people don't do. I got to keep pushing, right? Like, so I'll figure out something new that nobody else is doing, then I'll do it, and I hope everybody copies me. Like, everything I do is for comics. Comedy's been very good to me, and I think it's important to give back to the things that are good to you. That's, there's a reason why I was annoyed at uh, Judd Apatow when he was coming at Louis C.K. It's like, regardless of what you think of that situation, like, comedy's been really good to you, Judd. Like, you, you, it's been really good to you, you know? So it's like, you, you starting to attack another guy that you're really not sure what happened, you really don't know the full details of what happened, it's, it's bad comedy karma, in my opinion. It, it's interesting because, like, that's the the whole uh, park, you know, Long Island bit he, you know, set that he did where he yeah, had the yeah. Parkland jokes. So I wrote a whole article about that. Like, you know, this was this was him trying out, the, the usual thing, this is sure. him trying out material. Judd Apatow, I was trying to figure out because I have so much respect for him. Right. And I was trying to figure out what was Judd's some, a truly nice guy? That's what, the issue. What, what was he was he was pointing out that maybe Louis C.K. was so angry it was maybe blocking a little bit yeah. his like funny bone, so to speak. And and maybe there but was, the I was trying was to funny. understand if if the Judd, joke was funny, but maybe Judd there was is a more, truly nice guy. I, and we spoke about it actually. And he's a truly nice guy, and he and he cares. And in that way, he's not like a lot of comics who can detach ourselves from the morality of a situation to write a joke. Mm. And he's a sophisticated guy. Judd is not dumb. He's mm. sophisticated. He breaks down comedy. Even his analysis of Louis, whether it was right or wrong, was sophisticated. It wasn't just, that's a mean thing to say, mm. right? It was based on how Louis was processing how he felt about the world and then he was, or the world felt about him. And then he was projecting that back on an innocent victim. But but, but here's a question though. Yeah. Like the, the joke itself, I felt what, you know, people know what the joke is or they can Google it. I won't repeat it. But right. uh the, I didn't feel the joke was about the Parkland kids, but more about media's yes. uh, desire to to pick our heroes and then and to get ratings and yes. and 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 they get to select the media pundits when actually thousands of people die a day from equally horrific things. You get that, mm-hmm. right? You understand that, and that's what it is. But the average person might not. But I wondered why yeah. why Judd, who I agree, yeah. he's created like. My my five favorite movies of all time, at least right. if not more. Plus, Freaks and Geeks. Sure, uh, Love that was just on uh, right. Netflix. Uh, it was great. Show. Every, right. every great show, Crashing, great show, Trainwreck. Um, but why didn't he get that? Because his comedy doesn't operate in that uh, darkness, hmm. right? Like his comedy operates in the light, and he's done a great job of operating in the light. Right, like he's done a great job of of talking about the awkward person's struggle, right? Maybe because he's awkward, and maybe because he sees that. But there's humor in someone who's not awkward. There's humor in making fun of people that are awkward, right? There's tons of humor in it, and he probably can't see that because he's never had that com- comedic perspective, where Louis might be a little bit more pragmatic about the world than a Judd. Judd might see the world for what it can be. And Louie might see the world for what it is. He sees a bunch of kids that are not experts getting all this loving on CNN and talking and all that kind of shit and, and giving real perspective on a gun control issue that they truly have no fucking clue about. 
and they've become these media darlings. And his comedic way of putting that out is, what is your expertise that you pushed a fat kid in front of you so you didn't get shot? That's right. That's, Which is obviously an absurdist thing. And nobody would believe he believes that. <laughs> he's got two kids that go to school. Right. He's a parent. Do you know what I mean? But he's able to look at the world like that because he, and that is, he's able, that, that's why he can write that joke. That's why he can write tons of other jokes that have been hilarious. And, you know, this is an issue because Louis is no longer the darling that he was, right? If, 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 if we want, if the grease is cooking, we want to throw something in it. And I think these people have some grease that's nice and hot and they got nothing to put in. And it's like, okay, Louis, you're going back into grease. You didn't, you didn't get fried as much as you shouldn't. And, and to be honest, it's on Louis too. Like Louis asked for it. Louis sent that email out about Trump and how he was the next Hitler and how he was all this kind of shit. And it's like, if he never sent that email, I don't know if this happens. Yeah, because Louis, Louis feeling his own karma. Cause think about it right now. Louis sends out the email about anybody who supports him. You know, they're like, this is Trump. They're real Nazis. And these people who support him are, are stupid and all this other shit. Like he really knocked the Trump and the Trump supporters in this email to all his fans, right? Now he's on the road, right? Who's coming out to his shows? Yeah, it's the it's basically the Trump supporters. Who's coming out? Because he, I was thinking this. How fucking crazy <laughs> is the world, man? Because he it, has, like, think about what he's going through internally. It's like, he has to, if you want to keep doing your love, you must perform for those people that you called this 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 horrible these horrible words right. that you judged. Like my my guess is if he did a tour of only the red counties, kill he he Long would Island. sell it every. Who do you think's coming out of Long Island? Do you think yeah. it's the Long Island libs? No, if he went to Kansas, even <laughs> if, <laughs> right? If, if he, Trump hats everywhere. If he went to Alabama, he would murder he would sell out. Of course, so so. But think about maybe how... that's why he did it on purpose. Maybe the leak thing <laughs> is on purpose because no. <laughs> I think that catapulted his brand. Inspired Seth Palin before that. I mean, of that... course, yeah. This is a long this is a long time of things he's done, but it's what it, the world works in this beautiful romantic way. In that, like, now he's forced, if he wants to continue doing his, it really exposed how how prejudiced he was being, right? It exposed, like, that he was guilty of the exact same thing that the mob, that's t the liberal mob has taken him out is doing, right? Because he was entertaining the liberal mob, and those were his people, and he was fighting for him, and they were his, he was their guru, right? And the second he got an allegation, I mean, he wasn't charged with a crime or anything like that, but allegations, mm. he was done. He was over. And now you got to go back to those people who you called bigoted, you called stupid, you called, you know, supporters of, of the next Hitler, and you got to entertain them. And what did they do? They opened, they welcomed you with open arms. Who's the bigot? Who's prejudice? Right? Like, that's got to that's gotta humble the fuck well, out of you, man. Well, even as he said in that same set, um, you know, when, when you have your big fall, you realize who your friends are, and you're like, oh, you're my friend? <laughs> like, he, he talks about that. So he, he was surprised. Of course. So, so, so okay, so, but, but you're saying if you, if you, do a, a comedy special. Is like now you're you're doing it all. Ah, so that's that's what we're getting to, right? So the comedy special is like you cut it up into pieces. And what the reason why I made the four four one fifteen minutes instead of I put out the whole hour is um, 
You can learn everything you need to learn about comedy from asking people who are not comics. And every comic I would ask about comedy would say the same thing. Oh my God, I love this guy's special, but I didn't finish it. Every time they said I didn't finish it. And that meant something to me. I was like, okay, they're too long. So I put out the 15 minutes. And then I started putting out clips every single week, two, three minute clips. And my YouTube guy hits me and he goes, yo, something crazy happened. I'm like, what's up? He goes, uh, people are watching one clip and then they'll watch for two hours. I'm like, what? Netflix can't get you to watch the hour, but you're watching two hours of Andrew Schultz clips on YouTube. What the fuck is happening, right? And I realize what it is. When people are in control of their own destiny, they're more invested in whatever it is they're doing, right? So my 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 strategy was like snooze. You know, you ever like wake up and it hits snooze? Mm-hmm. That's the best sleep you had all night. That eight minutes of snooze is the deepest, most comfy sleep you had all night. So when you watch one of my YouTube videos and then the video asks, the next video comes up and says, would you like to continue watching? And you hit it, that's snooze. You chose mm. to watch every minute of the comedy. Not Netflix saying you're going to sit there for an hour and watch. You chose. So by two hours later, you're like, wow, I must like this guy. I chose to sit here for two hours. Not, okay, I'm going to finish this thing that Netflix decided should be this long. And I developed this real cool relationship, man. And people got behind me and they really started sharing my stuff because they were discovering me. All the emails and all the DMs I get are, hey, I discovered you. Think about how personal that connection is now with me. Like if you have a Netflix special, nobody discovered you. Netflix discovered you. And then you watch it on Netflix. You're already somebody. But when you see me on the internet and and you have no clue who I am, and then you start watching all my clips and you go, man, I discovered you yesterday. This is so awesome. What's going on with you? You feel like you found a new band. You know, you're, I'm the Beatles before the Beatles to these people. Yeah, it's interesting because let's say there's 5,000 professional working or hope to be working comedians in the U.S. Netflix does 50 specials. It's only 1%. And, you know, the average advance for a special it's very small now, and it's eaten away by agents, managers, taxes. So you don't really. What do you really think they're getting, getting now for specials? I would say we're, we're the, do some the average, math. the the average, let's say, or let's say the above average club comic who gets a Netflix special. So not not like a Dave Chappelle, but the above average no, club just comic, just a regular guy, hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Okay, so let's do some math on this. This is why it's stupid for you to do a Netflix special. Um, well, not exactly stupid. There, there, there are different reasons why you can't. You can't. They just lost all. There's their- brand safety if you do. It, it, so then you go up. You can go up at the comedy store and say you might have seen them on yes. Netflix. So this, that's the one good thing. Well, and yeah, the problem with Netflix is they put too many specials out and then they destroyed their equity in the market. Right? There was a time where any Netflix special came out must have been good because Netflix put it out, and then these idiots put out a million specials, and now people are like, oh, they just put out everything. I don't care. It, it's not special anymore, right? So now you got to hope that people find it, right? And the way people will find it is if you have some sort of umbrella that you're uh, that you are operating under that they also believe they're part of. Right? So that's why, you know, Ali Wong, hilarious comic, cuz you got to be more than funny, hilarious comic she killed it because women got behind her cuz she's pregnant on stage. The Asian community got behind her because they didn't have representation and the comedy community was like, "Whoa, this is this girl's fucking elite at stand-up. This is one of the best stand-up specials I've ever seen. Hmm. So she had a trifecta going, and she was the last person to blow on Netflix. No one's hit since. Maybe Ellen, relatable? Ellen was already Ellen. Right, right, true. Okay, I'm so saying, she's saying break nobody out. to theater act. Right. Nobody to millionaire. She's the last one, and that's years ago. 
So think about that. That's how much they fucked up their brand. Yeah. And they had it. So um, what, what was the, uh, where are we getting with this? I just lost So the reasons to do, so $100,000. Okay, so $100,000, right? So for me, I give my shit away, right? I put away an Instagram, this, that, the other. And then my, what I get out of that is I go to clubs and I sell out clubs around the world. And I only do door deals. And I only do the amount of shows I can sell out because I want a big chunk of the door deal. So if I feel like I could sell out two shows in Orlando, that's what I do. If I feel like I could sell four, Do you four, pick the venue knowing that you're going to, like you wouldn't pick a 10,000 person venue. Right, we don't do that. You pick a 100 or a 200 person venue. 400, 300, 400. whatever mm -hmm. we think, whatever works, whatever looks good also. So I'm making 15, 20 grand a weekend doing standup, mm -hmm. right? How many weekends do I need to make 100? Right? And it's not even 100 because your agent gets 10, your manager gets 10, that's when your lawyer who negotiate, you're at 75, right? right. And then taxes, so, but yeah. So, and then, well, tax, but I get taxed on my money too, so. But different because you have a lot more expensives traveling around and. Sure. Oh, whatever. Whatever, it doesn't matter, right? But, which is, you know, right off. Yeah. But whatever. Uh, I'm Jewish, I have to think these things. You have to, you have to <laughs> run it through. So six weekends, if I'm making 15 grand a week, six weekends, I just made money. I just made yeah. more money than you made on your special, yeah. right? But here's the thing. That hundred grand, you're not getting next year. That was one special. Those people that came out to my show, they're coming back next year with more friends. See what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like I gave away my special, but I made back what you would have made on your Netflix in six weekends. Plus, I'm going to have another 30 weekends that I'm going to hit the road where I also have the opportunity to make that. You won't because nobody's going to see your special. And you're not burning your jokes. It's not like people could prepare. Oh, I burn everything. See, I burn see. everything. Everything I do, I stop. Okay. How, I how often out. do you recycle, like... How I, new material? Yeah. So now I'm putting out new material. When is this coming out? Uh, next couple of weeks. Next couple of weeks. Okay, so by the time this comes out, the, my new tour will be announced. Hmm. Uh, Matador, the Matador tour, um, which is a nod to the bullfight analogy that we had. And, um, and so that starts June 8th. And um, so by then, I have to have a new 45 minutes of material. So I can start going. Now, I'm doing a bunch of shows in between then and now and getting it ready and tooled up. But I have to create another 45 minutes. This is not for everybody. If you're a comic who can't create material quickly, you cannot operate in the give it away. But it sounds world. like your your process is, okay, let's let's sit down. What are the high what are the high stakes things that are that are third rails that are like like, you know, so there's you know, Trump. Obviously, but but politics can get boring after a while. Like every comedian is doing politics, although you're taking you're you're looking at you know skeptically the other side. Why is Trump right about grabbing pussy? <laughs> right, that's, so, that's right. my bit. That's that's where that's where the third rail is. Right, as opposed to just Trump, quote unquote. Right. Um. There's there's black white stuff. There's transvestite stuff. There's me too. So you are are what are some unobvious high stakes situations? So like which I'm gonna steal from as soon as you say that. Go please, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so for me, I would even back it up. I'll give you I'll give you how to I'll tell you how the sausage is made essentially, and why I have like such an impact when I drop stuff is I'm tapping into the zeitgeist. I'm tapping into what the culture needs and wants. The culture, meaning all of us, the people need and want, but we don't even realize we want it. So this last special that I put out, Views from the Sis, right? The Trump joke and the tranny joke and the Me Too joke a little bit in the beginning, that was the real special, right? 
There are other jokes within it, but those three were the real special. And the point of those three jokes were, was, and is, is that I needed people to realize that comedy can be done about anything. We were operating in a time of political correctness where they said certain things cannot be talked about on stage, on a comedy stage, and it should not be joked about. So I need to prove that those things could be joked about. And the world was yearning for them to be joked about because that's what comedy has been for us for, for so long was talking about these really tough things. You know, uh, Chris Rock saying, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton's the first lady. She should be the first one on her knees sucking that dick. That's a wild thing to say about the first lady of America. Like, think about that for a second, right? Like, so we we were operating in a time where nobody was tackling these subjects. And if they do, they were doing it very with like, uh, you know, baby gloves on or whatever that term is. I'm not sure, but very soft. Mm -hmm. And I leaned in to the flagrancy, as we call it. I leaned in to political incorrectness. I leaned into being uncensored and unsafe, which nobody was operating in that space, or maybe a couple people, Bill Burr, me, that's it, right? So it was like, that are, no, that are known, that are right. out there kind of, you know. And by leaning in, all these people that had wanted that, it was in their gut, the reptile side of them was like, fuck yeah, finally, like, this is what we wanted, comedy's coming back, like, th they didn't realize that's how they felt until I kind of articulated that, and then they're like, that's what I've been feeling. You ever go to therapy? For 30 years. Okay, <laughs> you ever like, you know, I'm sure all the time you have that moment where you're feeling this unrest and anxiety, and then your therapist calls something out as to why you're feeling it, and then immediately it's alleviated. You're like, ah, oh, okay, I, thank yeah. you, this is great. That was the moment. So for every piece that I put out, like the new one that I'm working on right now, I haven't really found out what the through line is. So it's not just about the third rail. The third rail is how I operate with humor in general. And then there's another thing below it, which is what does everybody need? What does everybody feel that they don't even realize they're feeling? And the new one is, I'm pretty sure it will evolve and maybe it will change. But right now the new one is we are so spoiled here. It is so good here. We are living in the best time in history and yeah. we are the most miserable about it. We're the most complainy about it and we're the most upset about it. And it's like, do you know how fucking bad it is out there outside of America? Well, just the fact that like two weeks ago, uh, all, all the kids, my kids, they got a day, an actual day off from high school so they could all protest about climate change, right? And so now- regardless of yeah. how you care about climate change, there are so many worse things in the world right now. Yeah. And well, the joke there is, do you know how many places in the world don't have high school? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're so lucky that you get to go to school at 14 to 18. Like you have to be holding your breath and like hunting fish underneath the water in the Philippines at 14. Yeah. Right. So now, the people, we realize that. Like, you even have a conversation with me over there about it, right? Yeah. We were talking about how fucked up it is in the world. So that means that it's resonating. Like, you're thinking about it, and you're probably a hyper self-aware person, so you're always analyzing your thoughts and why you're thinking about it, maybe more so than most. So if we're thinking about it, it's bubbling in people's guts, everyone else, right? So when I'm putting together the next special – it's not about how do I do five or six or seven or eight or eight, nine, 10 jokes that are really good. It's 
how do I talk to the feeling inside people, right, that they don't even know that they have so that when they see me, they're like, man, this is always the reaction. Man, you just... You just fucking said it, man. Like, that's always the reaction. And they don't even know what they're saying. I know what you're saying. I'm aware. It's like you needed that explained to you, right? Because that's how you feel. You're like, what the fuck are we bitching about? So so when you're th- figuring this stuff out, are you like kind of uh, sort of during the day, like feeling like, oh, what's annoying me? Oh, the fact that this person said this or this. Oh, yeah. it's this general feeling of entitlement, which, yes, as soon as you say it, of course, where it's, you know, I have five Kids, like, they're hugely entitled. and Massively, and they're fucking spoiled. And they don't know. They have no clue. And it's like, <clears throat> and it, it's just crazy because we have all the access to the rest of the world. It's just like, it's we are, we are tweeting. My buddy Akash has a funny, funny riff about it. But, like, we are tweeting about how messed up the world is on phones that are made by kid slaves. Yeah, that- like, this is... This is crazy, right? Like that's funny. So, so it's like, uh, and, and and yeah, there's versions of that, right? So that's a question too. So, like Louis C.K. kind of has a version of that. When does a version, you know, when is it just a cover of another person's joke, and when is it like a unique take on the concept? So that's the other thing for for me. It's like I always I always operate on what I feel, and I write the bit, and I just start putting out the bit based on what I feel. Okay. And then if I find out that someone has a joke that's similar to it, I start to feel gross doing it. Mm. And that feeling tells me if the joke's too gross, mm. if, if, if the joke is too similar. Do you know mm. what I mean? We're all going to talk about similar topics. You could take every famous comic in the world. I promise you they've had some joke about how, ladies, do you want to keep your man happy? Just give him food and suck his dick and let him leave him alone. There's a version of that with all of our famous, all of the most famous comics. Now, did they all steal it from each other? No. They just all had a visceral reptilian reaction to their relationships that happened to be similar. You know, so now we live in a time where like there are so many ways to like look and find and analyze stuff. So you're going to see it. I think you, for me, the, the way I do it is like, okay, we're both touching on trans stuff. Okay, his is different enough for me. I'm not going to. I'm not going to stop doing mine. Oh, it's the same one. Somebody already had this thought. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have, have that. But when I see a comic doing something similar to me, my reaction is not, you stole it. My reaction is, you had a similar thought. Like, how arrogant is it for me to think that I'm the only human that does stand up that could think about this thing? Like, crazy. Right. So I just go, hey, man, I just want to let you know I have something similar, like, you know, maybe these things are different enough. We could both do them, you know, or just something you, you might want to be aware of. And then they could be like, oh, I've been doing this forever. And I'm like, all right, man, that's yours. So you have you have uh, the podcast that you do. Is it, is it more? Really like it's an inflagrant too. I have another podcast I do with Akash Singh and uh, Real Life Cast. And uh, you you obviously tour. Where do people find out about your tour? TheAndrewSchultz.com. TheAndrewSchultz.com? Yeah, with a T-H-E. And Schultz is spelled without a T. So S-C-H-U-L-Z. TheAndrewSchultz.com, yeah. I'm gonna recommend There's Johnny, which is a sitcom on Hulu. Oh, yeah, we, had, we had Paul Reiser uh, uh, on the podcast. He was yeah. the producer. Uh, great sitcom. I hope some version of that comes back. Uh, what's uh, YouTube, y- man? Check my YouTube. Yeah, YouTube is like where you're totally blowing up, and Instagram. Yeah, but YouTube is like we do we do uh, five five. I treat my YouTube like my own comedy network. So we got five shows we do a week there. We do uh, unsafe sets. So I do a new stand up clip every week on Sundays. 
And then on Monday, we do a show called Inside Jokes. And what it is is I take uh, four comics, myself included. We each bring a joke that's like very divisive, pisses off a crowd, like really rubs people the wrong way. And we workshop it and we try to find the funny in it and try to... Oh, that's it, great. Yeah, it's 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 a really I cool show. That. Yeah, you got to check it out. I mean, the networks will steal it eventually, some iteration of it like they do with all my shit. Comedy Central just ripped off the 441 thing I did. Oh, really? Yeah, what did they do? blatantly. There's a show called Thank You, uh, Good Night that they that they shot which is the exact it's just comic but on how stage. much is that how, how what audience is the average show on comedy central get uh it will, be, it will get like nine thousand views on youtube and, and but like how many what's their ratings for comedy central like oh just, it's not on tv it's on their digital oh that's it and nobody watches it and it's just like yeah whatever they, it doesn't matter so, so i was gonna say where are you going with all this but obviously you're going in a good direction it doesn't i'm not right even today. worried about it yeah. it's just it, it for me it's just like I, I just love creating it so i'm just gonna create it you know and so yeah, we do the Inside Joke Show, then we have Flagrant 2 podcast, and uh, then we have um, Dropping In, so that's like my travel show. So in whatever city I'm in doing stand-up, I go check out the city, and I do stand-up that night. And we usually include like the local reference jokes. You kind of you experience the whole day as a comic, like me doing something and then me finding the humor in it later that night. I, I think just as like a comedy nerd, I really fuck with it. And then Brilliant Idiots, we come out, so... It's it's pretty cool, man. We got a lot of cool shit cooking. So we we started late because we we messed up in the schedule. App. We actually it's good that we were all kind of in the same location. Um, uh, we thought we were gonna do next week, but will you come on again? Of course, man. Anytime. Excellent. So Steve, note yeah. to self. <laughs> yeah. Again, one murder. I'm Jack the Ripper. But uh, let's do it next week. Let's come tomorrow. Yeah, got it. We're in tomorrow. <laughs> Done. I love talking to you guys. This is cool, man. Yeah, Thanks Andrew for having Schultz, me. Thanks so much for coming on. It's for great. sure, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.